Do you guys remember when cute things were happening in this book? Like, like really cute shout-outs to algebra? <laughs> I feel like we can get back to that. Here, okay, let's start the show. <laughs> Was that not the show? to Tortal Recall, the podcast where we reread Tamara Pierce books and yell about them. Last time, there was a lot of yelling. This time, hopefully, slightly less yelling, oh, I'm maybe. I'm still gonna yell a lot. Okay. I love to yell. Uh, yeah, the, there's still gonna be a lot of yelling. I haven't even told you guys my grand unified Alex theory. Anyway, my name is Abby. <laughs> uh, my pronouns are she, her. <laughs> my name is Amy. My pronouns are she, her. <laughs> my name is Aurora. My pronouns are she, her. My name is Grace. My pronouns are she, her. And don't worry, I'm still going to yell a lot. Like, we are just coming off of recording the first part of this book. And so I'm already in the yell zone. I don't even need to warm yeah, up. No, I, yeah, are emotions here. are running high. I'm going to run up and down the steps of the art museum. Um, hopefully there will be less discussion of sexual assault. Fingers crossed. I think we got all of that out. Hopefully. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, we were in the middle of Social Justice Corner. <laughs> and let's get back into that. Can we talk about race? Okay, wait. Yes, yes we, can. we can. I I still I have some some stuff to say about queer stuff and that's <gasps> earlier in our schedule. <laughs> okay, do that. Okay. So I I don't know if this is really first and foremost, but it's first and foremost in my mind, which is that there's one <laughs> mention in this book of uh of Roger's wizard rod. <laughs> And it's that it's he says if Faithful was a normal cat, he would swallow his wizard rod whole. <laughs> Guys, I'm really upset about the wizard rod still. Yes, that's acrobat. I don't, I don't know if that's queer stuff. <laughs> no, okay, it definitely is because. I mean, we might we might actually talk about this later, maybe in the zombie author section. But uh, I I think Roger is absolutely coded as a queer villain, which is the main thing I wanted. Like the wizard rod is hilarious and terrible, but I think it, it's also emblematic of a larger <laughs> issue here, which is that you know Roger has a, a high voice and a neat beard and uh, very nice clothes, and he also does sure have a jeweled wizard rod that he talks about swallowing. <laughs> Yeah, he is, like, a 110% queer-coded, which is, and, uh, like, again, maybe we'll bring this up in Death of the Author, but, like, one could argue explicitly queer. I think, or, like, the yeah, I think, so Yeah, I think Death of the explicit. Author, you can't say definitely queer, but, um, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk later about what she said <laughs> so about this. So you took what I meant, or you took what I said, and the meaning that I had was, is it queer if it's your own rod? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that I Amy? didn't express that well enough. Amy, no. I mean, it's definitely adventurous. <laughs> I don't... Okay, I feel like this is a podcast that we're trying to make family-friendly, and we shouldn't get into the mechanics of this. Is the book family-friendly when it talks about rods that much? I'm so sorry. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll... 
I don't know how much will this podcast will remain family friendly, but let's not go in depth here. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can talk about it and potentially edit out the past three minutes of us laughing at the word <laughs> Or we could keep that in because it's great. We could radio cut out content. the part where we talk about how the rod is probably not family friendly, and that way maybe no one will realize what we're talking about. <laughs> It's true. We are the most capable of, you know, just really recognizing innuendo. No one else has that skill. <laughs> Not unless we lay it out for them, which we still, I mean, we haven't said. So, like, any pure children listening to this podcast are probably still in the dark. <laughs> They're going to Google it. The rod's a d- <laughs> Okay, thanks, Grace. Thank you. <laughs> Total Recall Nights, where we get all kinds of saucy. <laughs> you can edit that out for sure. Okay. Cool. That was just for my friends but, here, okay, on the, so, here on the call. So, to get back to an actual, like, discussion point, instead of just giggling about the word Rod. Um, Roger is a queer-coded villain. He spends a lot of his time hanging out with um, one woman and a bunch of men who are significantly younger than him. And I feel like this has a lot of maybe not the best implications. I mean, he he clearly has, like, a lot of influence over Alex. Um, Delia is really into him. Alex's squire is also mentioned as not being targeted by Delia, which is interesting. I don't know. I just, I think that there's a lot of, and um, this is something we'll get into with later books also, but there is sort of a mention here of uh, him and Tom hanging out. Uh, and I, I think there is sort of, like, not only is he a queer-coded villain, but he is also a little bit predatory-seeming, I guess, in that he doesn't really engage with people his own age very much at all. So that's just generally unfortunate. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Um, also queer-coded, or queer stuff, uh, queer times. Um, when I really read Alana as, like, in Delia, did anyone else read that? Because, is that her name, Delia? <laughs> um, yeah. I did, I did first. too. Like, there's a particular moment where there's this particular queer feel that I'm sure many people recognize where you're, like, mad that you are so, like, want to think about them so much. You're just mad about it. And that's how I read uh, that. The first, yeah, and on that note, um... The first note that I wrote about the mother goddess was um, the great mother goddess. Is she a lesbian? It's just a feeling I have. (laughs) And then she started saying like, no, you have to accept romantic love specifically from men. And I was like, a lesbian would never say that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would really love to believe in the mother goddess as a lesbian, but she is tragically very heterosexual and wants other people to be heterosexual. The thing is that I trust lesbians, and I trust no one in this book, except Alana. Mm. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But, right, I mean, I, so there's um, Alana interacting with Delia, which I do think you're right, could be definitely read as her having a crush. Um, I mean, I think the implication is that she has a crush on Jonathan and she's jealous, but, or that's the, the you know, author-approved uh, implication, <laughs> but I think it's it's just as easy to read it as she has a crush on Delia. Um, and that's, you know, she has to kiss her hand and it's, like, very uncomfortable. Um, but also, like, I, there's also a couple sort of, uh, times when they bring up the possibility that people might find out that 
that Jonathan and Alana are in a relationship, and I th- that was really interesting to me. Yeah, it never seems to be that that people would think they were gay. Like it, that right. possibility okay, just I doesn't don't, seem to exist. I don't think that Alana knows that gay people exist, <laughs> and this makes me very sad for her. <laughs> yeah, like they, I'm sure that they do exist, but in this world, but she just, I mean. I mean, we know this. I'm, it's especially it's especially surprising to me because she's been in this environment that's just all young boys hanging out and like being naked around each other. Yeah, because I would um sort of to jump back to when I was claiming that Alana is queer, which is always, but especially now. Um, yes, that we know a lot about how beautiful she thinks um, Delia is. We don't know anything about her opinion on the appearance of any of the men around her, except that when she meets muscly men, she wishes that she was more muscly. And that's all. And yeah. we know a lot about her thinking about beautiful no, women. No, it's true. I mean, her two, you know, quote-unquote romantic interests who are men who sexually assault her, she does not spend nearly as much time describing their appearance as she does describing Delia's appearance. Right. I have no idea what either of them look like. Um, I do know that jo- that George has brown hair and John has black hair and blue eyes, but this is partially just because it's very, like, symbolic and also it ties into my race theory that I'm going to talk about later. Cool. But yeah, no, I mean, I, like, there there must be queer people in this world, but I think Alana has just sort of been really sheltered and, it, it, I mean, it's really interesting that, uh, she, you know, Miles almost walks in on her and John kissing, and um, and Alana doesn't think, you know, maybe he'll think we're gay. She thinks, does Miles know that I'm a girl? Which, like, just the, the possibility that two boys might be kissing isn't even there in her brain. But I don't, I'm, I'm curious about how sort of society would react if they found out that John and, Al- and Alan had been kissing, and I don't, I have no idea. Especially if they were the world's first gay people. <laughs> well, okay, they're definitely not. And especially if they were the world's first gay people and one of them is the crown prince. Yeah, you know? right, for sure. But we know they're not because of Roger. I know I know that uh, that Becca Cooper was 200 years earlier and, and culture has changed a lot, but like, I, my, my feeling is that commoners must be having queer relationships. Like, there's no well, way they're not, right? Obviously, I don't believe in readings of books that exclude the possibility of course of course so yeah and i mean i think if you go what oh wait no no spoilers just kidding i headphones (laughs) don't do that no okay we have a spoiler section later we'll we'll just say goodbye to amy for the spoiler section i Uh, guess not right now we can slightly uh undeath the author and say that we know tamora pierce does know about queer people we can confirm that so that's not the (laughs) that's not the place where we're having trouble. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was because this was a more sort of middle grade book that she didn't want to write it in or. Did she learn about queer people in the 90s? <laughs> maybe. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe they just have a sort of view. Maybe they do the thing where queer couples are often read as really close friends or something that makes a lot of able to ignore it. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to, you know, keep an eye on this in the future. But I'm sad for Alana that she doesn't know that gay people exist even though I think she's kind of queer. Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can read her as queer. Like, I think you can read her... We talked before about, um, like, a trans or a gender queer reading. I think there's, like, a lot of possibility. Obviously, personally, I think there's a lot of possibility for reading her as a lesbian. I also think there's a lot of possibility for reading her as asexual, which is obviously... Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of those are not mutually exclusive with each other, but 
There's some queer reading that you can do. Yeah. Um, I also, like, I think it's interesting. Like, we don't really know, I guess. There's a lot of sort of villainous things that we don't really know if they're magical or not. It is mentioned that every single person in the palace is in love with Delia, except for Alex and his squire. And I don't, like, that almost makes it sound to me like there's some magic going on that they're, like, exempt from. But also, what if they just weren't attracted to women? Yeah, I assume, like, the first... The first time I read that sentence, I was like, oh, are they gay and in love? Or are they just gay and friends? And then my third thought was, oh, like, this is this is a thing. This is like a plot thing. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I mean, what if Roger is gay and he's manipulating these younger gay men and they're like exempt from his plots, both because they're like on his side, but also because they're gay? That would be like my best reason maybe he's not manipulating them maybe they're just glad they found another queer person in this kingdom where apparently well okay yes i i mean sure yeah i i totally buy that alex and his squire are in a relationship (laughs) i hope that's not very age inappropriate probably it's okay i think um (laughs) but uh also roger is definitely 1000 percent manipulating alex so like oh totally yeah now can we talk about race? Yeah, I think l- oh. let's go on to race. I have something to say about race. Are you ready? The yellow man? <laughs> the yellow I man? I'm so mad. I wrote that down. How could? Okay, so so for context, oh. uh, there's... Okay, so I, for, for further back context, last episode I said there are these monks that are sort of uh, described as looking like Tibetan monks, but we have no indication of what race they are in this book. We meet one of them, and his name is C-Cham or Sai-Cham, something eh, kind of Asian, and he is described as the ancient yellow man. Right, the yellow, just consistently the yellow man, which, to return briefly, before we had talked about, like, not being able to decide if we read Alex as dark-haired or, like, Okay, I have so much to say about Alex. (laughs) And now I I definitely, definitely read him as not white. Like, in this book, there's no other Okay, yeah, so, so, right, we, we have, um, I, I have, like, a whole thing here. In this book, we, they do refer to Alex as specifically having dark skin. They, they use the word dark with him a lot and say that he has dark eyes, but they do specifically in this book also say that he has dark skin. And... Uh, we, I mean, we, we've known since the last book that the Bazir are, live in Tortal and are a dark-skinned race of people. In this book, um, we also learn that there are, I guess, Asian people. There are quote-unquote yellow people, which is not a super cool thing to say, Tamara Pierce. Aurora's just got her hands over her face. I would argue that it's a very uncool thing to say. Yeah. No, agreed. I thought it was referring to the fact that their robes were orange, and I guess I misread that the whole no, time. No, he was wearing black and That's... gold robes, and he was a yellow man. Yeah. yeah, Amy, I thought that at first, too. I, like, specifically went back and reread to try and be like, please be his clothing. No. I just assumed Which, like, yeah. that it wouldn't be the racist one. I just assumed that it wouldn't be racism, and I guess joke's on me. Yeah, I don't want to, like, I mean, we have talked about this, but, like, that's utterly unacceptable there's no way that in a fantasy book you should be referring to someone as yellow like that's there's no reality in which that's a a good way to racially code someone at all zero percent so just so we're not skating past that 
to that point that I would argue it should be corrected and reprinted. Yeah, I was thinking if yeah, they should really be not. editing that out of the book. I mean, I don't know how old my uh, edition is. It definitely like has some typos in it, so I kind of assume it's an early edition, but it was in all of our versions, so that's not great. Um, okay, but I, I think we... There's a lot of things that I think Tamara Pierce was maybe bringing to this, but if we just go full death of the author, what we know about this world is... Tortal is not a nation state. It's definitely an empire. We learned last book that they conquered the Bazir a long time ago, and there's still a lot of sort of territory dust ups with them. In this book, a major plot point is they go to war to uh, protect a valley that they conquered a generation ago. So, you know, quite recently. So there, there's a long continuous history of imperialism here. And we know that there are Tortalans who are black, the Bazir, and now we know that they're, you know, racistly described, there are uh, Tortalans who are Asian. Um, so I think, given all of that stuff, we talked last book about how, you know, we could interpret Alex as having, you know, actually dark skin as in being non-white or just being sort of, you know, I don't know, tan or having dark hair or something. I think it's irresponsible at this point to interpret him as anything other than a non-white character. I agree. Given given the specific reference to his dark skin. And I, I don't know if that's what um, Tamara Pierce intended, but I think that's what's in the text. I would also say that if we're seeing, the description that we're seeing of the Asian colored characters, having that be the yellow one, like bringing that back, I would say the dark one then becomes like definitely right. And especially like this is actually, re- this is related yeah. to what I brought up earlier, which is that uh, two of uh, Alana's close friends, John and Raul, have black hair but never get the description as being dark. And Alana describes uh, Alex as dark constantly, all the time. Right. You know, that's the mm-hmm. primary adjective that she associates with him. So, it, you know, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, clearly that's un- his unusual characteristic to her is that he's dark and has dark skin. So I think um, Alex is a non-white character. Which has a lot of implications, probably. Definitely. Yeah, the only thing I'll say, like, further about the specific language used to delineate, like, who is what race in this book is just that it's pretty hard to designate race when on something that is not set on Earth. It definitely in, like, a is hard, yeah. Way. But, like, you can do it. There are ways to do it. And you didn't do I mean, I, I think one thing that more. you can do is refer to someone's skin as being dark colored, which she does do, but there are, uh, you yeah. know, there's, there, a, there's yeah. another color word that happens yeah. that's bad. Also, there are ways you cannot and should not do that, which she also yeah. does. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think, like, I, I still don't really know what her intentions were, but, you know, going in a death of the author direction, I think there's a lot of, like, the, the narration of the text is racist, but what we can get from this is that um, Tortal is a pretty racially diverse environment like we know that they have fantasy asian people we know that they have fantasy black people we know we i think it's probably reasonable to assume that most of the nobility are what we would consider caucasian i guess uh and fantasy white fantasy white yes thank you grace uh but you know they're they're (laughs) imperialists and i think they're probably ruling over a pretty diverse population and i think alex is really interesting um, because my guess would be in this context that he, uh, has some ancestry that's, you know, one of these conquered peoples, but he also has noble an- ancestry. So that, uh, makes him a really interesting character, I think. 
yeah, I wish we knew more about his history. But instead, all we know is that of the young people, he's the only evil one. Yeah. Right, which is really unfortunate. But I like him a lot. He's... I, I do like him a lot. Uh, you yeah. know, I know he's evil, but, like, I, I mean, I, th- I really think that he's being manipulated by Roger, and I I think it's really kind of sweet that, like... But that's that, also like, not great. No, I mean, it's super not. <laughs> Dynamic. As we discussed earlier, and in many ways. Um, yeah, but in also a racial way, very bad. Yes, definitely. You could argue that he's being enchanted by Roger. Which is not better. I'm just saying that it's redeeming for him. Yeah, I, I, I think this is another example where you can't tell if it's if it's magic or just manipulation. I don't really know if it makes a huge difference. It's very sad for him either way. And I really wish that things were better for him. And, you know, I, 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 li- I appreciate that Alana, I guess, sort of gives him so much benefit of the doubt. Like, she clearly is friends with him. And... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just really yeah. sad about Alex. Even when he possibly tries to kill her twice. Like, breaks her collarbone? Yeah. He definitely does. And, right, I mean, the fact that she continues to hang out with him after yeah. he literally does try to kill her with a sword is <laughs> a lot. She almost dies so often. She can't hold that against everyone who almost kills her. <laughs> she can't hold that against the giant wolf that tries to kill her. <laughs> to be fair, I think the wolf was also bewitched, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. Which, I mean, also probably Alex was, because in the scene where he tries to kill her with a sword, uh, he, you know, seems to sort of come out of it when Faithful and Miles show up, and he, uh, he's, like, then concerned that he hurt, hurt her. And also, uh, when in the scene where uh, they're ice skating, and he bets her to go around the, the pond, and then she falls in, uh, he seems very surprised, I thought, that, like it might have been a murder plot or that, you know, someone might have set this up. So, like, he was clearly complicit in it, but also, I don't know if he was necessarily expecting that to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I really think that Alex is just a good kid in a bad situation. I agree. That's how I want to read him. I do think he was definitely, I definitely read it as sorcery. I guess earlier I was being a little more ambiguous because I forgot the detail of him like coming out of it when during the sword fight, but I feel like he's yeah, I mean definitely... it's not it's not very explicit, but it, I I mean it definitely could be that he was just you know had been manipulated by Roger and got in a really sort of competitive headspace and was like trying really hard to win and then just sort of took a step back and was like wait this isn't right right but yeah I mean I I don't think we know so the reading of that of, of like me a woman and like Alana a woman is like when someone comes in and sees a violence that someone is doing to you that person can act like everything is normal and it's fine that's very true yeah so like I like want Alex to be a good person but like that's sort of why I assume that he's like totally aware of what's happening is just because like that's sort of like just my, my gut reaction i hadn't considered that maybe he was just being bewitched until now and i like that reading a lot more i do too um, i think earlier i was actually reading it backwards in a sense yeah i mean he's certainly either he's certainly either like bewitched or abused or like manipulated. yeah but i mean i think right ab- abused does not excuse his actions no you know abuse would explain his actions but we still have to sort of hold him accountable for violence but bewitched is maybe a trickier like i don't want to excuse him by just saying you know oh it was probably magic and therefore he's not guilty you know i don't i don't want to erase the violence that he's doing to no. alana by saying oh it was just magic so he's not That's bad a good point. but 
Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I have a lot of sympathy for well, him. Spoilers without spoilers. We, we're going to see some changes in his character going forward, which I think influence how I read him now, you know, as I go back through the books. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll have to talk about that as it as in the future. time goes on. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Uh-oh. But anyway, I love Alex a lot, and I know he's bad, and we shouldn't ignore that he's bad, but I still love him. And also, one more thing about race in this book <laughs> is that they summarized the events of the previous book as mentioning that thousands of proud Bazir tribesmen were kneeling in the streets for Alana and John. Oh. And... <sighs> Don't do that! <laughs> That's good reaction noise. <laughs> I might have skimmed over that sentence, and I don't like it, and I don't want it. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, we have fewer characters of color in this particular installment in this series, so we get a little break from the white savior narrative. I'm worried that it's going to come back full force. Mm. <laughs> but to kind of return to like the imperialism, which we like very briefly touched on, mm-hmm. we were talking about history and world building. Uh, so we know. Like, Abby, as you said, uh, that the territory that they're defending during the war section, uh, like, there's the other side of the river, and it was taken so recently in the history. Yeah, by John's grandpa was the one who so, conquered that land. The yeah. old king who was known for conquering, apparently. Um, right, John, John's grandpa's nickname was the Empire Builder, and then King Rold is the Peacemaker. Right, so then King Rold wants to give that peacefully, return that land, make reparations, um, and everyone is, that. I would argue that the point of view of the narrative towards that is negative, that the narrative sees that as a weak action. Right, it definitely seems like uh, John is against it, definitely John is against returning that land, and also I think the narrative is sort of against the, the peaceful outlook in that it sort of frames it as Alana is kidnapped and the only way they can get her back is to break this this rule of being peaceful and morally sort like somewhat in the right, morally only taking some of the land. Uh, I mean, so that really got to me in that, you know, with regard to imperialism, this is kind of saying that you can break the rules if you're like influential enough. Like mm-hmm. it's okay to break this peace if you're like the king's son and you're justified in some way in doing that. Right, they kept saying like... And right, just generally that they were justified in taking back this land that they had only taken for the first time a generation right. ago, that it belongs to And then to them. It keeps, they keep saying, well, John wouldn't get in trouble for getting going across the water. So it does, I mean, you can almost read that as like he deserves the land so he can go over. Like, like commoners, they're not going to go over there. They'd get in trouble. But John, like the narrative's telling us like he can go over there. I mean, yeah. he... He's white and a man, so. Like. <laughs> Amy, you you've been sitting on something for a long time. Um, yeah. So actually, there was like something towards the end of the book that I thought was really interesting that tied into the cultural imperialism and a lot of like just their views on things and why they are able to justify to the this to themselves. And it's the part where um when Roger and Alana are about to duel and Roger just goes like, No, because like if she's telling the truth, she'll win because that's how it works. And like Oh yeah. The fact that that's... Yeah, no, that's actually true. That I think, you know, it's implied that trial by combat is a thing that's maybe, um, or at least I, I read it as possible that um, that trial by combat is a thing that's sort of like magically supported by the gods or whatever, but it is, it, it directly ties 
winning combat to being right. Yeah, and like every like everyone just immediately went along with that too. Like there wasn't a question of whether or not that fight would happen or whether what he was saying was how life works. And also like the reader is given the knowledge that like this is not true if Sir Roger is espousing it because he is clearly in the wrong. Um so if he believes he'll Well, win. I don't I mean Right, it's true that that Roger believes both that he is in the wrong and that he can win. Yeah. Yeah. So it's he thinks it's either possible to cheat or not true. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that does like Which he does cheat. So um it's possible that he that we're we're still sort of getting the message that like true and honorable trial by combat would uh go to the person who was right. But I don't know if anyone really believes that. But he, as, like, book. North American readers, so much conflict has happened in North America. So much imperial conflict has happened in North America because combatants believed that it, we were destined to win. And if we won, that showed that it was right. Uh, so that that's definitely, I mean, yeah, it's an no, imperial I mean, it, is, it is kind of manifest threat. destiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting to find something that you could read as both, like, showing the way that the culture interacts with this and also that, like, you can read as denying it um, or you can read as flouting it um, in the Mm -hmm. book specifically. That is really interesting. I just thought it was cool. and (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think the, the book maybe tries to comment a little bit on sort of the idea of imperialism or, you know, but it doesn't, it doesn't really go... It brings up these issues, but it still sort of presents our characters as morally in the right um, for supporting Tortal, even though Tortal is clearly an empire, which is not, you know, in my head from my reading as a kid, Tortal was not an empire, but it's so clear reading these books that it is entirely, uh, um, you know, espousing colonialism. Yeah, I'll also just like point out that I have two more books to go and I don't know what happens in them. So like mm-hmm. I can read this as something that like goes against that could potentially grow into going against colonialism, but it sounds like it won't according to you guys. I mean, I al- <laughs> I haven't read the third book, so I don't know the details of what happens in it, but I have read the fourth book and I'm concerned. <laughs> right. And there are books that there are books set in Tortal that uh, we will definitely have a ton to talk about with colonialism, um, to very vaguely spoil. And then um, I'm also curious, I know we're on Tortal Recall, but if we ever read her books set in other lands, I wonder if she generally writes about empires or not, she being Tamara Pierce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, right, there, there's a lot of other Tamara Pierce stuff to sort of dig into to figure out what she thinks about colonialism. But I think the way it's treated in the book is sort of a lot like you know, I, I really liked in the first book the sort of emphasis from all these characters that Alana needs to heal because, you know, war is wrong and she's going to do so much damage and she needs to make up for that. And this book had some of that, but it felt a lot like lip service because there was, you know, a few paragraphs of Alana going to heal because she needed to heal. But then there were also a lot of times when combat and killing was the solution to a problem and it was the char- the solution that all the characters believed was correct. And it seems like, yeah, she just needs to heal because war is boring. <laughs> yeah, a bit in that part. So it didn't it didn't come down on that moral as strongly as the previous book did, which I think is a loss. I agree. I don't know if Tamara Pierce was even intentionally bringing up colonialism as bad at all. Or if I just to... am trying to read that into it. Is it time for zombie author? Because we're definitely doing it. <laughs> we're definitely doing zombie author right now. So yeah, we don't know what Tamara Pierce believes about imperialism. 
I hope that she thinks it's bad. Her books don't support that. <laughs> yep. Not these books, but sure, yeah. No. Yeah, right. We'll see how it turns out in the future. Um, but yeah, we kind of already said that. Grace, do you want to say your zombie author thing about queerness? Okay. Uh, so a friend of mine who has actually listened to the first episode of our podcast, uh, so a very loyal listener, um, <laughs> hi, Sophie, uh, sent me an article uh, that she found um, after listening to that episode where um, I think from what I can tell, it's a little vague and maybe we can post this link too. Uh, but it is Tamara Pierce's husband interviewing her on a blog. And um, she, in this interview says that she um, wrote Roger as gay and she also wrote Tom as gay and she wrote them as being in a relationship throughout um I think referencing yeah, specifically, later books, but I think this is in the 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 original version of this book that was all four books in one. I right. think um, so. That was how she envisioned it. Which um, uh, when we had talked about it as like a podcast cast, uh, some of us were more shocked than others. But I will say that I was shocked. Yeah, I think um, Amy's making a big face. I think uh, this is something that maybe ties into uh, later books a little bit because uh, Gus and I both felt that we had definitely read it that way from later books or, you know, got that implication that even if it's not textual, but I, I, I like it clearly in this book, it's not textual, but I can definitely see a queer reading of both those characters. It's a bad ship. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a real bad ship. It's terrible sure. That's very bad. Like, also, that's the twin of the person who you're, like, maybe trying to murder, which is weird. <laughs> um, like, Tom's, like, good. Tom's a good character. I lo- love Tom a lot. And, yeah. yeah. And Roger well, does murders yeah. with magic. And Tom, like, yeah. is a supportive brother who's, like, kind of, like... But, I mean, I think this ties into the previous thing that I was saying about Roger being a queer-coded villain who manipulates younger men mm-hmm. into doing things, or, which is not my favorite. Or Tamora Pierce put two gay characters in her book and thought, this is the only way, which would be bad. This is a bad yeah. shit. But I also, like, Tom, I would say Tom is not canonically gay, but he is, by this, you know, word of God gay... If he's gay, how does Alana not know that gay people exist? <laughs> Maybe they never talked about that's it. That's what was getting me. She's not observant. She thinks that she's not supernatural, Abby. Like, Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> we could just go with, you know, leaning heavily on point of view. Alana has absolutely no idea what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. Ever. I mean, kind of like the, the Harry Potter meme of like, you know, Dumbledore is on roller skates the whole time and Harry never mentioned it because it wasn't relevant to his journey. Yeah, Alana... Actually, Alana is surrounded by gay people at all times, but it's not relevant to her journey. Uh, Alana never pays attention unless she's actively fighting something with a sword. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I, we'll uh, keep an eye on that Tom-Roger relationship going forward. No, let's but not! Just keep that in <laughs> no. mind. No! um i did have one other thing to say which i think can go in this section sure whatever which is um it's actually from gus but gus isn't on this episode so they gave me a thing to say hi gus (laughs) which is hi gus um hi gus thank you gus um which is this book again references my favorite phrase about um the rogues court which is the thieves and their women um and gus gus's question about this phrase was uh is Alana saying this, or is the omnipotent narrator saying this? Oh, that's a good question, Gus. 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't really have a good answer. Yeah. I could see it, it going either way, but right, I guess this ties into just sort of like, how does Tamara Pierce conceptualize these thieves? I kind of think that she doesn't think that any thieves are women. I, yeah, I think that as well. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that Tamara Pierce's portrayal of women in these books is really pale and sad and, um, I just in general, when I think about the author, I mean, I was talking to um, a friend again, Sophie, uh, but I was texting her as I was reading the book and bringing up some of these passages that have assault in them. And she was saying, well, can't, couldn't we expect a female author to be a little bit more sensitive to that? And uh, it is, it is a bit shocking. I think, you know, there are elements that are of the time. There are maybe elements that are how Tamara Pierce personally um, chooses to portray relationships, but um, it's not, it's sad to think it's coming from a woman. Yeah. And it's also like, especially upsetting to me regarding the thieves, because the that is a group that explicitly exists sort of outside of society and outside of the mm-hmm. law. So like, even if it was just like, just like, you can't explain it by saying like, oh, well, she's making a point about how women are oppressed or anything, because like, this is an outside of like the... Right. I mean, if anyone should be breaking societal norms, you would think it would be the thieves. The other line Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I don't know if we should get all the way back into the sexual assault talk, but um, there is a line about when she's hanging out with the thieves that one of them uh, yanks a pretty flower seller onto his lap, um, which is both, you know, that's sexual assault, but also uh, there's... The only woman that it mentions in connection to the thieves is a flower seller and not a thief. So I again think that Tamara Pierce does not think that women are thieves, which is ridiculous because, of course, you know, I mean, especially these are, like, not only are they outside society, but they're presumably, like, one of the lowest classes, you know, they're doing crime to survive. And the idea that women would not do crime to survive is ridiculous. Right. And then as well- Maybe she stole the flowers. Maybe. (laughs) When Alana is out in the city um, in her, like, wig and her dress and everything, she decides not to go into the thief bar um, because she doesn't want to deal with her friends, like, making passes at her, basically. Um, And so that, I mean, maybe the thieves, maybe everyone's sexist. Just everyone is. I think so. I mean, that is how living in a patriarchy works. Yeah, (laughs) some realism. (laughs) I mean, it's, in this entire book, there's just, like, there's not a conceptual, there's not a realization of a man who pursues a woman, a, a woman, a man who pursues a woman in a respectful way that just doesn't exist in the narrative. And that's sad. Yeah, that, I mean, right, certainly Alana has never experienced that, and she doesn't recognize that she's not seeing that, which is just really unfortunate. Right, and then... As long as we're in the author, like, looking forward, I remember some of the romantic relationships in the Cal books, which we're going to read next, right? Uh, I remember those... No, we're reading Dane next. Okay, which we're going to read eventually. I remember those with the romantic relationships with fondness, and now I'm a little scared to read them. Yeah, I, I do think she gets better over time. No, no, it's totally true. But I have margin notes that just throughout says this is, like, this relationship dynamic on, like, every single one of them is not what we should be teaching young people as mm-hmm. what is okay. And, and yeah. it's the only thing that we're presented in the entire book, which is 
very troubling. Right, the fact that we see multiple romantic relationships and they're all like this. Yeah, and mm-hmm. at no point does anyone say, like, don't do this. Like, don't just, like, make someone do stuff with you. Like, And we haven't yeah. even, throughout that whole time talking about gender violence, I just realized we didn't even touch on the fact that, well, we did briefly mention George is much older than her. And kind of a mentor. So that's a power deck. Wait, okay, so now, like, this is a sad version of this section, but I think we do need to now transition into the subsection, shame that kink. So okay. here we are. It's a sad here we time. Are. We're here. Okay, not George is much older than her. So shame. Don't do that. When, when he first starts talking about marriage, she's 15, he's 22. Uh, and there is also a line later on where uh, they're talking about romance or whatever, and he says, I'm waiting for my chosen bride to grow up. Which is Yeah, bad. don't say that. Don't say that ever. Um, and dramatically, like, they met when she was, like, 10. Um, so that's oh, And he was 17. Yeah, yeah, and he was 17. So that's really terrible. And then as well, um, Jonathan is also older than her, although, like, within the bounds of, you know, I may, per- perhaps within the bounds of relationship I territory i wouldn't object to their romance on the grounds of just age but he's also he's her, her boss and in charge yeah. of her i yeah. mean he's going to be the king in terms of power dynamics and he has she has to say yes overlord like don't date that person yeah. don't and oh. so yeah i mean like i really think that this is a thing that tamara pierce likes in romance is both the age difference but also just sort of this like paternalistic right. attitude like i think that's something she likes in romance and i it's really definitely hate it. yeah. <laughs> i mean so like much. i'm a little bit uncomfortable i know we're talking shaming her kinks but like i'm a little uncomfortable like implying that that's what she <laughs> likes personally but it is what she's choosing to write and there's responsible ways to do that i mean you can have things that you like to see in romance that you know are not healthy but then maybe don't write those for young girls and especially right don't write them for young girls and don't give them as sort of the only example of romance and don't not question them in the right. book and in fact have every single character including the main character's female mentors be totally right on board it could be that. questioned mm-hmm. internal to the narrative like both she and john could initially have an unhealthy relationship dynamic but over time develop a more healthy rapport like that's possible yeah. and then yeah. you could like have your uh, f- have your fun terrible uh, like abuse narrative and then eventually also have like stuff that's better <laughs> Like, that's possible. I just think that, like, this also, but this isn't just problem, like, this isn't just harmful to young girls as they're reading it. This is harmful to pretty much anyone who reads it because it legitimizes the idea that you can have a healthy relationship with someone who is significantly older than you and in a direct position of power over you. Mm -hmm, And, like, sure, I'm sure that that's possible. There are a lot of things that are technically possible, but most of the time it's just bad and it puts women in terrible positions where they are not able to say like they are not able to point out that this is happening to them they are not able to be taken seriously and they get pushed uh, pushed out of places where they should be this applies to all vulnerable populations who are not like people in positions of power over much younger people (laughs) yeah yeah no it's it's a bad relationship dynamic um i feel like we have talked about this enough probably um it's pretty miserable but i think we can now move in a lighter direction uh into the queen's riders which is about good friendship moments and not talk about sad sexism anymore but instead talk about nice things i love all alana's buddies the friendship moments in this book which 
it's like the one thing that I thought was maybe this book yeah. saving grace that the fact that when the goddess tells her that she needs to like accept love a lot of when Alana talks about love like very positively she is talking about friendship she does this directly a few times in this book and she's like very sad that her brother doesn't have any friends yeah like if, if you just took the romance out of this book it would be such a great story because it would be about her learning to like accept platonic love and support and making these really close friendships and right that that is i think why this book was my favorite in the past and why elements of it are still my favorite part of the alana series is the friendship is so good and real and you know her father figure um with, with miles and like you know, Quorum doesn't appear that much, but when he does, he's also really great and supportive. Her sibling relationship is awesome. It's Her friendship with Gary's real nice as well. Like, they're so jovial. Yeah, and, I loved the, uh, the it, like, reveal moment with Gary. I thought that was so good. Um, and then, like, she becomes really good friends with all these people that she meets during the war. And uh, Big Thor, that was a really yeah. sad moment. But it, it have, it's preceded by some very happy Big moments Thor. with yeah. him. And she has a lot of good buddies there. Um, yeah, I, I like the friendship in this book. Can I talk about my favorite friendship moment? <laughs> yeah, go for it. So when they're naming the cat, like Faithful, who is yes. either her third bro- her third sibling or a regular <laughs> cat. Yeah, so Raul, like, hey, Raul Eobald does not like cats. He's not into this. But, like, they're all doing <laughs> terrible names. Like, yeah. everyone's suggesting really bad names, which is super cute. Yeah. And at one point, Gary just goes, like, what if we name him Raul? <laughs> like, yeah, just... no, right. Gary, uh, Raul's suggestion is Blackie, and then Gary's suggestion is Raul, which is so, so good. Human Raul hates that we call him Human Raul. To my knowledge, there's no animal in this book named Raul, and I feel like that's just a major oversight, or in this series, and I, I just feel like there really should be a pet named Raul. Yeah, would, would it be funnier if the cat was named Human Raul, or if Raul was named Human Raul? Raul. <laughs> he should be Human Raul. Um... Yeah. yeah, but like I um I wish there was more of her friendship with her school friends. I feel like that was like a, a Yeah, high but I point. mean I th- there is like a decent I mean because there's like at the at the beginning there's lots of banter including the cat banter and uh who I think it was Gary who like Alana starts carrying the cat around on her shoulder. The book the cat won't go on anyone else's shoulder and Gary suggests it's because the cat <laughs> yeah. is afraid of heights. <laughs> which is just adorable. They just tease each other a lot. And um Miles becomes friends with the cat and they hang out. It like the cat comes in the, that's an animal friendship thing but the cat comes in the classroom. Right. And um when she um comes out of the chamber of the ordeal like she's surprised that uh all her friends are there to clap for her and she's like oh well they clapped for john but i'm not as important so i didn't think they'd be here um but she's like so pleased i liked that a lot yeah and on her birthday when they give her all these gifts and she's very surprised and she's like why is everyone doing this and someone's like well they care for you i'm like oh (laughs) so sweet yeah they all teamed up and also like this is the second time that someone gives her an outfit and this one is like this like gold and amethyst like armor and it just made me really emotional because her previous outfit was like this dress that like this really intense dress and I don't know I just feel like this one's like her friends really understand her and know what she wants from her wear and it's to be strong and resplendent yeah it's so great And uh, her her brother shows up and gives her the shield that's like, I mean, the representation of her knighthood, but also then it has a secret lioness built into it, the lioness rampant that, because so like, 
Yeah, he just loves her so much and he supports her journey as a lady knight. It's, it's so cute. Best. And then, like, her friends get her, her her outfit, as Amy said, but they get her, like, maybe this is typical of knights, but I really liked that she's sort of, like, exploring being a lady, like, a woman, what that looks like for her. And then they get her, like, shiny gold pretty armor. So she's, like, she's gonna look so nice. And yeah, she goes that's, knighting. like, the exact thing. That's like exactly how I felt while reading it was like it like the they we they talk about the dress that she was wearing but I feel like this is what Alana's actual like womanhood is or like her actual mm-hmm. like gender Yeah, I mean is, I think that know? it can be, you know, both yeah. things like it, it can be nice pretty armor and also a nice oh, pretty yeah. dress and I think it is, which is awesome. I liked the exploration moment as well. Like I do like that she has Mistress Cooper and that she goes there and uh you know, they learn about they do fun fun girl activities together and they learn about it together and um you know she feels very pretty in her dress and i like that a lot yeah me too and um so it's not that just her armor was pretty but that like it shines and she's like i don't know it turns her very it's more than pretty it's like super badass it makes her glorious which is everything you would like want and envision alana to be um yeah so another uh friendship moment that i really appreciated was uh when john is about to spill the beans when she's been kidnapped and uh tell miles that alana is a girl and miles is like no don't tell me her secret she'll tell me when she's ready which is that was so good great i really love miles a lot that was when i was like i trust one man (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Miles. Yep. Trust. yep. well i think he's also the one who i it's probably not in this book unfortunately well it doesn't matter in the book before this he talks about chivalry and how you know he's not always all about that and yeah. i feel like we would get so many more interesting perspectives on you know chivalry and masculinity and imperialism if everything were written from miles's perspective yeah. So I'm just thinking like a good spin-off. I really, I want to, this is what I was saying earlier. I want to read the Miles book that's all about like politics and like gray morality and like just a totally different experience. And I want to know like, how did he, why is Miles the way that he is? Like, what was his experience as a knight like? And I love that he, he has been continuing to mentor her and treating her 100% the same, even while uh, he knows that she's a Suspecting, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Miles is really good. Um, okay, so we should move on because we've been recording a long time, but I do have one last friendship moment, which is right at the end of the book. Um, and John John comes off kind of negatively in several of my friendship moments. <laughs> not so into John. Um, but he, John is saying goodbye to her at the end, and he says, uh, take care of her to Coram, and then Coram says, like, she's a knight. I thought that she would be taking care of me. I which, did like, that. <laughs> I love Coram a lot. I trust two men. <laughs> yeah, her dad's. Wait, Tom. Uh, I Tom. Oh. I don't trust Tom. I but like. Tom. I trust him in a way where he like is not like as long as he is on the outskirts because he also did like keep sending her things like maybe check out this Roger guy and when she didn't he assumed that she knew what she was doing. I appreciate that Tom supports Alana, but he might yeah. make some like yeah he I don't know. I think I entrust his intentions, but not his judgments. Yeah, um, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to animal friends. If we don't have any ah. things that we, I mean, so she has a talking cat. That's pretty great. Okay, who rides I have in a, a question about cop. the cat, which is how old is this cat? It's a kitten. Oh. Because there's a point. 
Okay, no, no. But there's a point where they're talking about the old king and how Jonathan is starting to grow uh-huh. into being the old king. But the cat is who says it. So how old is the okay, cat? Okay, so old you cat. have a lot of questions about the cat that we cannot answer currently. But Well, can I can I put a text? that There was a thing in the text. Okay, yes. That I think I can allude to without any spoilers. So when the goddess is talking to the cat, she says, be well, small one. And she capitalizes small and one in the text. <laughs> I'm just putting that there for you to think about. So Alana <laughs> renamed the cat? Alana just renamed the cat who already had a name. Okay, so I feel like we we can't really talk about this that much with Amy here. <laughs> right, right. That's totally fair. But that's that's all I'm putting there. But um, yeah, she has a cat. She has a great horse still. Uh, John has named his horse Darkness, which we already talked about at length, but it makes me very happy. (laughs) Um, Faithful rides in a little cup on her saddle. That's great. And her friends, when they got her the saddle, they made it have a little cup for Faithful. (laughs) Great. Yeah. And Faithful gets to go to all her classes. It's just really stellar. Yeah, all the all the teachers, like, get really on board with Faithful and, like, pet him during the classes and stuff. Except Roger. Yeah, well, except Roger. Um, anyway, yeah, some great animals in this book. Um, I think, so now we need to figure out how, can we just, like, make Amy leave for a little bit to do n- yeah, text night vision? Me. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah, text, text you. Cool. See ya. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Don't forget me. Here's Night Vision with a K. Night Vision with a K, where we talk about future spoiler things, and Amy's not here anymore. There was some very, very um, specific foreshadowing that I hadn't realized was in this book, but Uh, shows up a couple of times. Can you elaborate? Um, Okay, so uh, when she's in the forest talking Mm -hmm. with Roger, uh, is he still on the call, but just not in the same room? Yeah, Amy left the call, or (laughs) Amy left the room, but not the call. Yes, yes, that is correct. (laughs) Okay, Um, keep going around. Anyway, okay, so she's talking with Roger. They have some good banter, which I actually really, really love. Um, But aside, he leaves. She's like, I really don't like that man, but I can't do anything about it. And Faithful's like, you'll crush him someday. And then she says, by the time I have enough to crush him with, he may be invincible. And Uh, this is so telling. yeah. Yeah. Not subtle. And I, I couldn't find it as I was going back through the book, but he's talking to Delia. Mm-hmm. And he talks about preparing for something. Um, but he's very, very vague about what he's preparing for. And I'm wondering if this is referencing his future undead invincible right. state. Right. I mean, he clearly has a backup plan. And mm-hmm. he sure is. I mean, it, it's so fascinating that, like, reading these first two books, he's pretty clearly the arc villain of the book, and then they uh, do kill him for yeah. an entire book, and then he comes back to be the, right the series villain again, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we'll, we will talk about that more in the future. But yeah, I, I think it, it's, I mean, it's so interesting that he dies at the end of this book. Right, because I would say that's a trope, but it's not a trope that normally belongs in fantasy. And um, also, the other thing that I wanted to point out in this section is that the name that John suggests for uh, Faithful is Pounce. Yeah. Which is what Becca Cooper calls him. That's cute. I didn't realize that. Which is lovely, oh. yeah. It's like yeah. a nice little referential moment. Right, but the interesting thing is that she wrote this book first, so that's a, a Becca Cooper reference to this. <laughs> oh, that's mm-hmm. cute. 
I'm excited yeah. for Amy to learn everything about the cat. Oh, it's, she has yeah. so much to so much to learn. And right, it is in fact quite an old cat. A yeah. very old cat. <laughs> the oldest cat, you might even say. <laughs> Possibly. Okay, are we are we done in this section? Can I text Amy to come back? I think we're good. Yeah. Now that you've returned to us, and, um, and we're we're so happy that you're here and back with us, and now we can move on to the Chamber of the Ordeal, which is such a grim name for our very not grim ratings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first we need to rate this book on a nostalgia scale, which I don't know how that will work for Amy, but you get to figure it out, I guess. <laughs> um, I rate this uh like six feelings that i wish that i had read this as a child out of ten (laughs) there you go sure with well no i need to lower that because there is a lot of like bad romance stuff so like 5.5 but if we average in the first book it's like an eight i mean i do like i'm torn because the nostalgia for the good parts is so strong but (laughs) it's also like so there was so much upsetting that like really kind of lowered my opinion of this book yeah. So, I, don't, I mean, I guess I'm just going to split the difference. Five out of ten nostalgia for the, the good parts of it. I was going to go nine out of ten nostalgia for the friendship. And That's three super out of ten for almost everything else. <laughs> okay, yeah. I agree with that, yeah. Similarly, I feel like, um, like the vibe of this book, like the feeling of reading this book is so good. And I missed it a lot. And I was happy to be back to it. That's like an eight out of 10. Like I genuinely enjoyed this book, which is might be hard to tell from this podcast about it. But um, I was like, I, I like Alana. I like her confidence. Yeah. yeah, no, I really I mean, I did enjoy the reading experience, like 75% of the time, probably there was a lot of good stuff. I like the friendship and I like the you know, the very important duels that she did on three separate occasions and the two times that she killed an animal. I liked all of that stuff. When she got kidnapped and picked the locks, that was great. (laughs) So I would say generally, like an eight out of 10, specifically like in that this rereading sort of like made me sad um, about having read it when I was younger. I would say like on nostalgia, in that sense, like a negative two. So yeah, that's fair. Whatever the average of those is <laughs> okay well on to our next rating which is animal friendship um, 10 out of i want i really want to okay that's a that's a fair opinion i really want to curve this scale because i know how much animal friendship we're going to get in the future so i'm going <laughs> to say like a seven out of ten yeah i'm with you at a seven okay yeah i guess i'll give it like i don't know i i think I just am so confused about who this cat is that it's hard for me to know whether or not this counts as an animal friendship. But I am going to tentatively give it like a 10 out of 10 for the horse, nice. whom I love. And, I and love the horse. so the horse Moonlight and then John's horse Darkness, those are like, that's a lot of points of animal friendship. Right. 
Yeah. But she does, she's not friends with that wolf or that other wolf or that boar. So, that's, I mean, that's right. true. But I don't think you can give a negative. I, I think the animal friendship scores only count the animal okay. friends. Other animals mm-hmm. are irrelevant. Okay. Also, the animals were all being manipulated by magic. That's true. So, like the violent ones. So, we don't know whether they could have been friends. There, yeah, yeah, there are no evil animals. Yeah. I'll curve it and I'll give this 9 out of 10, but I'll leave open the possibility that I might want to give like an 11 out of 10 in the future. Okay, that's completely understandable. Uh, so now we need to move on to a tricky question, which is who would we recommend this book to? <laughs> um, I want to like, I want to personally republish this book in a version where I just like take a scissors and remove several of the pages. And then I would recommend yeah. it to many people. Take a scissors, yeah. rewrite a bunch of it. Right, literally just take out all the romance plotline and then it's a and fantastic book. it would be a great book. book. Yeah, but I don't yeah. think I would recommend it to anyone under the age of mm, 14, 15. Just for that reason. Yeah. I'd recommend it to someone who finds it relatable that, like, you take off your bra or whatever is constricting your chest and then you are immediately able to kill someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I think I, like, it's for for teens and above, but, like, emphatically recommended to those people. Right. I would, I would recommend it to people who need, like, a little bit of confidence and, um, would enjoy that part and are ready to handle a sophisticated dialogue about sexual dynamics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was phrased so beautifully. Good job. Great. Okay. So that's the chamber of the ordeal. Um, good job podcasting for quite a long time, everyone. Woo. Thank um, you. You too. Yeah. And so that's our entire coverage of uh, In the Hand of the Goddess. So next time we'll be doing... A uh, woman who rides like a man is what the third Alana, Alana book is called. Alama. <laughs> and wait, Amy, will you be on that one? Do you know? Uh, no, I am two and four. Okay, so I will be the person representing the viewpoint of someone who has never read that book <laughs> on that episode. Excellent. It's gonna be a great time. A wild ride. Yeah. A wild ride like a man. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. That's a, no. the name of the book. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, thank you all for listening to this great show that we have done. Uh, if you want to um, get in contact with us, you should do that by um, talking to us on Twitter at Tortal Recall. You can email us at tortalrecall at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, and our website is tortalrecall.com. Also, our music is Green Sleeves by Zeta, which you can find on SoundCloud. And that's all the things that I have to say. Thanks for listening. Yes. Till next time, Tortellini. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. You did it. And I didn't even get spoiled. Good job, guys.